Well, good morning, church. How is everybody? It's good to see you. Let's stand with us this morning, and Courtney's going to read our uh, call to worship this morning. Remain in me, and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Well, amen. Turn around this morning, find somebody that you don't know, and tell them that you are happy to see them this morning. Introduce yourself and tell them you're happy to see them. I've called your name some broken night. You showed up and you patched me up like you do every time. I get amnesia. I forget that you keep coming around. There ain't no way that you ever let me down. Good God Almighty, I hope you find me. Praising your name. Cause I know where I'd be without your mercy. So I keep praising your name at the top of my lungs. Tell me, is he good? He's good. Is he God? He's God. He is good God Almighty. Tell me, is he Your love goes on forever and your mercy never stops. So why would I assume you'd be somebody that you're not? Like, like the sun in the, the morning. morning. I know you're going to be there every day. So what on earth can make me be afraid? Good God Almighty, I hope you'll find me. Praising your name. Cause I know where I'd be without your mercy. So I 
See, we got some baptism. Good morning, church. This is Owen, and uh, Owen Owen has been talking about trusting in the Lord for a while, and uh, has made Jesus his Lord, and uh, he comes this morning to follow Jesus in believers' baptism. And uh, thank you for his family for being here. I know he's excited for you to be here on this special day. Oh, and you have trusted in Jesus as your Lord. And it's my privilege to baptize you as a brother in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. guys. So for those of you who don't know me, I'm Greg Tanner. This is my daughter, Lakin. And I must confess that uh, I never thought I'd actually find a man truly good enough to willingly turn my daughter over to completely. And Jesus captivated her heart. Lakin's actually actually been practicing this since she was a toddler because she used to role-play baptisms in the bathtub. <laughs> and she used to call it bathetizing. <laughs> so she's given me the honor and privilege to bathetize her today publicly in front of you. Lakin, do you accept Jesus' free gift of eternal life? by way of the, his death and resurrection on the cross 
for your sins and you accept him as Lord, not only of your life, but of your thoughts as well. Okay. It's upon that profession of faith that I get to baptize my daughter and now sister in Christ in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ and raised to walk in newness Well, good morning. What is so fun is that Greg and Krishna actually lead our worship on Wednesday evenings. And at the very end, we pray. And Miss Krishna looks to the kids and she says, all God's children says, amen. Yeah. And usually it's loud in here and they're thrilled to be here. And of course, we are just in joy for Lakin's baptism this morning. Uh, my name is Beth Claxon, and I'm the Children's Ministry Director here at Burlington Baptist. And we're so glad to see each and every one of you all here on this beautiful day. And if you're visiting with us for the very first time, we'd like to welcome you in. And thank you for being here to worship with us this morning. As a first-time guest, we'd love for you to stop back in our atrium at the information desk and fill out a connection card. And we want to do just that, to connect with you and let you know some other things here in the church that you not, may not be aware of, ways that you may want to get involved, and we just want to say hello. So if you don't mind stopping by the information desk out there, and we have a gift card just for you for stopping by the desk today. Well, we've got a lot of good things going on here at church, and one of those things, I'm sure as you can see, with all of our lovely decor up here, is tomorrow evening through Monday through Thursday is Vacation Bible School. And I tell you, that's right, that's right. I got my cheering section up here today, and we're excited about that, and that, like I said, that'll be Monday through Thursday from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. It's for four-year-olds through the eighth grade. However, we do do here our BBC, um, our three-year-olds. So we cannot wait to have you. It's going to be a great time. And what I need you all to do is to pray for our Vacation Bible School. You know, uh, just that we have so many children coming in from the community. We already have over 100 children registered, pre-registered online. So we're going to have a crowd here. But we want you to be in prayer for these children, that God will open their hearts and ears to hear the love and what Christ has for them. And also pray for our volunteers because, y'all it can get pretty um pretty hectic around here but it's all in fun and that we can make those conversations and have those opportunities to share with our children um also tonight we will be kicking off vacation bible school with a community worship service outside we're going to be having a lot of worship music so bring your lawn chair come on up here at 6 30 p.m we'll be having music and we have a, um, several food trucks that will be here so there'll be plenty to eat and we'll be signing up for vacation bible school so again that's tonight invite your friends it's a community-wide event and we'd love for them to come so again that's 6 30 this evening for music and uh food so so come on out for that. Well, during the month of June, we are uh, collecting a special offering for the Oneida Baptist Institute. Now, Oneida is located here in Kentucky, in southeast Kentucky, and um, they've been actually in existence since 1900 serving families, but they actually have a boarding school for children um, in grades 6 through 12 who may be having trouble in school or with their grades, or maybe their um, home life just is not ideal. And so they have a boarding school there at Oneida, and so we are collecting a special offering for them 
during the month of June. There should be some little offering envelopes in front of you there in the chair box, but if you don't see one, they'll have some out there in the atrium and also at the information desk. So make sure you pick one of those up to earmark some monies toward the Oneida Baptist Institute. On July 10th, we're Baptists. We love to eat. So we're going to be having a potluck right after church service. That's July 10th, immediately following the 1045 service. You can head on over to the activity center where we'll have a potluck lunch for everyone. So let's continue to worship this morning. And as we do so, I'd love to lead us in a word of prayer. So will you pray with me, please? Father God, we just come to you now and praise to who you are. God, we love you. And we are in awe of you. You are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And God, just thank you. Thank you for the privilege that we can be with you. And God, I hope that we honor you. Lord, as our church looks forward this week to our vacation Bible school, I just ask that you be with the children that will be coming, coming from the community and here within our church, God. That you will just open their hearts and minds to receive your word and be with the volunteers and give them those opportunities to show your love to them. God, we just thank you that the gospel is spoken and the gospel is spoken here and help us to be good stewards of that. God, be with those that are hurting. Be with those that need healing. And God, I ask you now for the spirit to come that you clear our hearts and minds that we can receive your message today that Gavin will be bringing to us today. And God, we just ask that you bless Gavin and his family as they are church planners in Utah. And God, what an area that, that needs to hear your word, to hear the truth, to hear the gospel. We just ask that you be with them and guide them and help them to build the church and spread your love. Be with us now as we continue to worship, dear Lord. And we pray these things in the most precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We ask you to stand with us one more time this morning as we sing. Everyone needs compassion, love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, kindness of a Savior. The hope of nations.
have a seat. So uh, I told the first service, there's a theme in the music this week. I didn't plan it that way, but uh, first, God is good. Second, he is mighty to save. And thirdly, uh, he is the fulfiller of his promises. We know that uh, he promised us Christ would come, and he did. And he promised us the Holy Spirit, and he did. And he says he's coming back again, and so he's gonna. And uh, that's what we're going to sing about this morning. If you know the, if you know the words, listen, sing with us. of eternal promise stirring in your sons and daughters earth revealing heaven's wonder spirit come spirit you spoke is now unfolding. All your children shall be holding. Dreams awaken at this moment. Spirit come, Spirit come. Pour it out. Let your love unfold. 
Let your glory fill this house. Fill this house. Fill this house. Oh, come, let us sing to the let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands form the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. In Matthew 16, Jesus promises that he will build his church a people set apart to know him and to make him known. Trusting in this, we boldly go to the ends of the earth proclaiming the gospel. We proclaim that God the creator showed his love toward broken humanity by sending his son to take the punishment we deserve. That he died on the cross for our rebellion and that he didn't stay dead, but he rose again and reigned at the right hand of God. And that because of this, we are redeemed, given the gift of new life, true life, eternal life, by putting our faith and trust only in Him. I'm Chase, and this is my wife, Becky, and our two kids, Davey and Elizabeth. And I'm Gavin, Chase's twin brother, and this is my wife, Haley, our little girl, Finley, and our little boy, William. We're called to lead the only gospel-preaching church in Morgan County, Utah, through an epicenter for church multiplication in northern Utah. Nestled in the Wasatch Mountain Range just outside of Salt Lake City, Morgan County is home to roughly 12,000 people. The largest town in the county is the town of Morgan, the county seat, which has a population of over 5,000. And Morgan people enjoy Friday night football, rodeos, tractor pulls, hunting, fishing, and taking in the beautiful mountains that surround the valley. Morgan reminds us a lot of the small towns that we grew up in and love, except for one major difference, the lack of gospel preaching churches. Most of us are used to people choosing a church based upon the music, the pastor, or the biggest youth group. We were naive in thinking that people all over this country had options when it came to Sunday gatherings. There is only one option in Morgan. The need for Bible teaching churches in Utah is not limited to Morgan, but is a reality for many of the communities surrounding it. Our plan, by God's grace, is to help equip the church in Morgan to begin holding Bible studies in the communities of Colville to the south and then Mountain Green to the north. These small group meetings will lead to churches that plant churches proclaiming the good news throughout the area. One church planting churches that plant churches. Will you join us? Will you pray for the church in Morgan, for the believers in Morgan? Will you pray for Colville? For Mountain Green, will you give financially so that believers can rent a space to meet? Will you give so that people are equipped to share the gospel with their neighbors, with their co-workers, with their friends? Will you give so that pastors can be financially free to pour into God's people in a hard place? Maybe you would even consider moving to the valley, joining God's work here. It is quite possible that you could be the only Christian that your neighbors will ever meet. Pray, give, come, join us, 
join us. All right, church, we are blessed this weekend to have Brother Gavin Roberts and his wife Haley, daughter Finley, son William with us, and uh, they come up Friday, and they'll be here today uh, through Tuesday, and uh, they are church planners in Morgan, Utah, and uh, Brother Gavin's going to invite you to be a part of their church plant, and so Brother Gavin, come, and thank you for sharing God's word with us today. I am uh, Gavin Roberts. I'm a church planner to Morgan County, uh, Utah. I, I thoroughly enjoy coming back uh, south and east, mostly east, to come to you guys or y'all. Uh, and when we got here, we got off the plane and uh, and we uh, saw the the Florence y'all on the water tower. And I said, "Babe, this is home. This is good." Uh, there'll be two things that'll be really great about this. One is I'll, I'll get sweet tea. Uh, and Brother Matt, uh, I don't know your last name, Matt, but he took us to eat Mexican food at Acapulco in Florence. And I said, do you have sweet tea? He said, yes, sir, we do. I said, I'll take some of that, please. Uh, and everywhere I've been, they've had sweet tea. Uh, and then, but I also love sweet tea, but people don't think I talk funny generally when I come back to the South. Uh, but I was in Coles yesterday. Uh, I didn't sleep much when we came. We got an early flight and we're a little bit of a drive from the airport and I forgot my preaching shirt. I had my t-shirt, not my preaching shirt. And so I went to Coles to get a preaching shirt, and, uh, and when I was checking out, the woman said, where are you from? You talk different. And so I didn't get to enjoy the not getting picked up for my accent here. Uh, you're a little too far north, I guess. Um, but I, I'm Gavin Roberts, a church planner from uh, Morgan, Utah. Uh, my wife, Haley, is here. Our two little munchkins are back then, whatever the, the kids do here, having fun and terrorizing teachers, I'm sure. Um, and so I'm planning with my twin brother. He's a little bit skinnier and a little bit uglier than I am. Uh, and, and we're planting together out there in, in Morgan. Uh, we are the only um, evangelical church in our town. Uh, it's a, a, a small county, geographically speaking. Uh, if it helps you to kind of get a gauge of the size of the town we're in, we graduated, I think, 260 kids this year from our high school. So, so not quite a one-horse town, but we don't have a Walmart. That helps you kind of see where we're at size-wise. Um, and so that's where we're at. We're one of only two evangelical churches in the county. Um, the county, the, the census hasn't quite caught up with the growth that's growing very rapidly. We're right beside an Air Force base called Hill Air Force Base, employs lots of folks, get a lot of retired military. We have four uh, retired fighter pilots in our congregation. We, Top Gun's a big deal there right now with those fighter pilots around. They're kind of bad to the bone guys, don't mess with them. Uh, and so our, our county's grown a lot because of the Air Force Base and just the growing e economy in Utah. Um, people coming out of California, different places to get to a, a more red state. Um, and so uh, we would say now if you ask people, they'd say the county's more like uh, around 18,000 folks. And so we are one of only two churches in the county, the only one in our town that is not LDS. And that stands for uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints um, or the, the Mormon Church. And so area of, of great need, uh, and we hope to, to plant a church in Morgan, and from that then to plant churches in other uh, areas on the Wasatch back, the kind of the east side of um, Salt Lake City. And uh, so that's what we're, we're doing, and, and we are excited for your church, for you individually to be part of that. Uh, and I hope you'll come back or, or come after this to the luncheon and eat some spaghetti and, uh, and hear more about how you can be a part of um, coming to Utah, of giving to Utah, and being a part of seeing churches planted in a place where there's, there's a great need. So we appreciate you guys being here, and um, Scott and his family, and Dan and, and Harold and Jeff for getting us out here, and Matt taking care of us, and we've, we've had a great time. So thank you so much for letting us be here and, and uh, for the desire that you have to be part of planting churches in hard places. So I hope you'll come back, hear more about that. For now, get your Bible out. Go to Mark chapter 5. 
We'll be in Mark chapter 5. The big idea today is this, that Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything, and the question that I want you to, to be asking yourself as we study this text together is this. If Jesus changes everything, has Jesus changed anything in your life? If Jesus changes everything, has Jesus changed anything in your life? I turned 29 just a couple weeks ago, uh, and, and I look back at my 29 years of life. That seems like a lot to many of you. Some of you think that I've just born just now. Uh, but in 29 years, a lot of things have changed in my life. I don't think anything uh, outside of salvation uh, has changed my life more than being married to my wife, Haley. Uh, nothing, I think, that I can look back and say, having kids, I've got changes things, yeah. But, I mean, we were already, you know, married and living with somebody else and all that stuff. And so I, I think nothing uh, changed more for me in my life than being married. For example, when I went to college, I went to Arkansas State University. You've never heard of them. They're in the Sun Belt. No one cares. They don't play UK or anyone that matters. And so... Um, and so I went to Arkansas State, and my mom, she's boohooing and sobbing and slobbering, doing the whole mom thing, and she's making my bed. The dorm was disgusting. It was dirty when I moved in. It was nasty. And so she's moving me in and fixing my bed up, you know, and getting my sheets fixed, and they're wet because she's crying and boohooing. My baby boys, you know, college, all that. And so she gets them fixed up, and I, I go back for Christmas. And I, I brought some laundry, you know, because I'd, I'd have to pay for her to do my laundry. It was free uh, to me. And so um, I, I bring my laundry back. She said, hey, did you bring your sheets? It's like, no, why would I do that? And she said, well, have, have you changed them? No. Who does that? I, I, I didn't know. Like, I, I didn't know that. Like, she'd always change them for me. I didn't know you changed your sheets. So I'd been sleeping on the same sheets for like, you know, the whole semester. I had no idea. And, and so I think I finally washed them like that summer when I came. They made me get everything out of my dorm room and she washed them then. Uh, but like when I married Haley, like we're not like, you know, like crazy about being clean. But Haley does. She washes our sheets every week. And she dries them and you put them on the bed. It is heavenly. Like, I had no idea what clean, dried, not wrinkled and crusty, smelled like my B.O., college kid smell, sheets were like. I had no idea. It is amazing. That changed my life when I realized we had clean sheets every week at our house. Another big thing that changed for me when Haley and I got married was one of my favorite things to do in high school and in college before I was married. I would go um, to a Mexican restaurant by myself. And no, I was not lonely. I intentionally was by myself. And I would get steak fajita nachos smeared in cheese. I'd pay for extra cheese because I had money then. And I would pay for extra cheese, and I would eat two baskets of chips and salsa before my steak fajita nachos came. And I would get sweet tea, and I'd drink about a gallon of that. And then I would eat every last greasy, good, cheesy drop of those steak fajita nachos by myself. And it was great. Well, I got married to Haley. Well, two issues came into play there. One, we didn't have any money. We went to seminary, we were broke. We didn't have nothing. And so we couldn't afford for me to get steak and her to get chicken pita nachos. So I decided I would uh, be a loving husband and I would uh, yield to her desires and we would eat chicken pita nachos. The second problem was, well, the other problem was we had to split it. And so I was still hungry. I liked to eat a lot. So I had to split chicken fajita nachos instead of getting steak for myself. This was an issue. This changed things for me. Well, those are two really small, silly ways of illustrating the, the changes that come into play when you begin to share a life with someone. Things change. It changes stuff in a really big way. I think that's a, a funny way to illustrate uh, the reality of that when Jesus comes into your life, it changes things. I mean, it'll mess you up. Uh, it messes you up. It keeps on messing you up as the Lord works on you and molds you and sanctifies you. That when Jesus comes into your life, it changes everything. The question you have to be asking yourself of this text is, if Jesus changes everything, 
has he changed anything in your life? We're going to walk through chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. Uh, At the end, we'll see three takeaways for us, three points of application for us today. A quick summary of the book of Mark. I I have to do my best. I I manuscript my sermons because I like to talk really, really fast. I like to drive fast, talk fast, eat fast. We got to go, baby. Put the left lane and hammer down. That's how I like to live my life. And the book of Mark is like me. It is fast-paced, action-packed. The word immediately comes up over and over and over. It's showing Jesus to be a man of action. He's doing something. He's going somewhere. As a book of Mark, he's always in a going mode. And so what we've seen so far, Jesus has been healing people. He has just calmed a storm. People are very, very confused about who Jesus is and what he has come to do. And remember, we are asking ourselves the question, or making the statement that Jesus changes everything. The question being, has Jesus changed anything in your life? Let's look at verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Jesus and his disciples have rolled up onto the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee, this is their hood. This is their stomping grounds. If you read through the Gospels, you'll see this come up over and over, but not so much this eastern side. This is a new area for them to minister in. And just as soon as they step out of the boat, immediately, here comes a crazy man running at them. If you'll notice there, it says, a man out of the tombs. That is never a good way to start a chapter of the Bible or anything much in life. I grew up beside a cemetery. We lived beside Bethlehem Baptist Church, beside Bethlehem Baptist Church was Bethlehem Cemetery, our corner of our farm, cornered up when the church needed more land to bury folks on. They bought it from my grandfather. My parents built the house where the dairy barn was beside the cemetery. If you were ever standing at my parents' house and I said, look, there comes someone running at us out of the tombs. There are two actionable steps. Shoot, empty the clip, and run. That is what you would do if someone came running at you out of of the tombs. That is not normal. That is a very strange thing to have happen to you. Well, like today, like like today, then tombs were not a place anyone who wasn't a little bit cuckoo for cocoa puffs would just happen to be hanging out pitching their tent. Certainly no one would live there. So why here in Mark 5 is this guy living in such a crazy place? The answer is actually quite simple. He is crazy. The crazy guy is living in a crazy place. He is possessed by demons. So Jesus steps out of the boat. Whack job, loco, lunatic comes running at him. Now what? Verse 3. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. So now we see not only is this dude crazy, but he is like the incredible Hulk of his day. This guy would win every fight in Boone County High School. John Wayne, the great Duke himself, could not lick this boy right here in Mark chapter 5. And notice it mentions again, just in case we missed it, that this dude slept in a hole in the side of the hill with the dead folks. 
something is not right with this guy. He is crazy, and now we see he is crazy strong. We see here people had tried to help him. He was harmful to himself. They had attempted to put him in the equivalent of a first century straight jacket, but he would just bust out. He could wrench the chains apart. They couldn't tie him up with anything. If you need to go to Acapulco and get you some sweet tea and steak fajita nachos because they were good, and you see this guy sitting outside on the bench, you decide a McDonald's McDouble will do just fine. You'll just drive through. It ain't worth walking past this guy to go inside. This is not someone you want to mess with. So this stronger than anyone lives with the dead folks cave man comes running at Jesus. But to really understand the severity of the situation, there's one more important detail we have to note. This old boy ain't got on no clothes. He forgot his pants. If you look down in verse 15, we see that the people are surprised. This is how the story ends. Jesus heals this demon-possessed man. And after he has healed him in verse 15, the people are surprised to see him clothed. Logically, we can realize then that if they are surprised he is wearing clothes, generally, boy ain't got no drawers on. The dude is naked. So this strong, crazy guy running at Jesus forgot to put his undies on. But it gets better. Verse 5. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Horror movies that Cinema 6 is not legally allowed to play because it would freak everyone out are made about things far less freaky and scary than this guy right here in Mark 5. This dude is stronger than anybody else, living in the graveyard, sleeping with his dead homies, can't be calmed down, but he also screams day and night and cuts himself with stones. Now, I don't know, but I would imagine he wasn't up there singing Yodelay Hee Hoo to the town every morning. When I was a younger man, I was scared of the dark till about like last week when I turned 29. Uh, and I had to get married so Haley could keep a nightlight on for me. And when I was younger, my grandparents, they thought it was fun to have little scavenger hunts for our presents. And so they would make up little rhymes that they thought we were smart. We probably weren't that we aren't that smart. They just were our grandparents, so they thought we were smart. And they'd make up these riddles and things for us to go. And they hid one of mine outside. Like I said, I was deathly afraid of the dark till like yesterday. And so one of mine was outside. So I told my dad I had got a, they bought me like a little 22 revolver when I was like 12. And I said, I'm taking my gun. He said, no, you're not. You'll shoot yourself or somebody else. And I'm like, well, there shouldn't be anybody out there, so it shouldn't be a problem. He said, no, don't take that. And I said, I'm taking my knife. He said, keep it in your sheath on your belt. All right, Davy Crockett, I was going to go out there and get this present. And so I go outside, and I don't know if you know, uh, there's, a, there's an animal in the world called a screech owl. I didn't know what a screech owl was. But a screech owl sounds something like this. That's what it sounds like. And if you've ever heard one, you won't forget it. I thought someone was being murdered. I thought someone was being gutted down in the creek bed. And I went back inside, and I said, whatever present that is, I don't need it that bad. I, I don't need that present that bad. But this just terrible blood-curdling, I had hair then, and every one of my head stood up on the back of my neck. Whatever that sounded like, that's what I would imagine. Something like this is probably the noise this cat here is making. All that to sum up the reality. This was not a good situation. This is something that seems to be seriously off. I mean, this is a pretty wonky way to start 
Jesus' little detour onto the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. Then what does Jesus do? Verse 6. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out in a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. So, crazy, naked, screaming, bleeding guy runs down to Jesus and plops in front of him. If you are a disciple right now, you've got to be thinking, Jesus, you are the Son of God. You are smarter than this. Back this thing up. Get in the boat. Let's go. This is not somewhere we need to be. Somebody call 911. Jesus has lost his mind. But we see that is not what has happened. This guy comes running up to Jesus, screaming, bleeding, dirty, no clothes on, and says, Why are you here, Jesus, the God-man? Please don't be too mean to me. If you go and you read through the book of Mark, you will notice, you will see that people don't recognize that Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is not crazy. He is not a liar. He really is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. People do not believe that he is the Savior. They do not believe that he has come and his coming changes everything. But this demon-possessed man, he realizes who Jesus is. Isn't that interesting? The religious people in the book of Mark do not recognize Jesus as the Messiah. This demon immediately knows he is in a fight he cannot win. So he asks Jesus in recognizing his authority, asks him for mercy. And Jesus says, get out of here. You are done tormenting this man. And he asks him, what is your name? The demon responds that his name is Legion. This story just keeps getting worse and worse. This helps us see that this old boy has it some kind of bad. Legion simply means this in good old redneck English, a whole stinking dadgum bunch of them. That is what a legion is. Depending on where you look, it's a word used to refer to a Roman military unit, and it would mean up to several thousand. In other words, dude is ate up with demons. And this demon, knowing they are toast because they are tangling with the Son of God, again asks for mercy. We and the religious leaders here do not always recognize Jesus' authority, but this demon-possessed man immediately knew he was no one to mess with. Verse 11. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. So... What does Jesus do? Poor little Wilbur was in the wrong spot at the wrong time. Piglet did not fare well this day. It would have been a bad, sad day to be a pig farmer around the Sea of Galilee. Farm Bureau's phone would have been ringing off the hook. The demon says, don't be too hard on us. Let us go into those pigs. And notice what verse 13 says. He gave them permission. The demons have no authority over Jesus. Jesus has authority over the demons. 
So the unclean spirits enter the pigs, and they do the same thing to the pigs they did to this poor old boy here in Mark 5. They make them crazy. Some of my more equine-minded friends back in Arkansas would tell me that pigs indeed can swim. I think that just further illustrates the point that when these demons show up, really bad things happen. They mess those pigs up so bad that they drown. The demons enter the pigs. They run down the hill and they drown. It would have been not a good day to be sitting there as a pig herder on your iPhone, checking out Facebook, watching a little bit of YouTube, seeing what was going on in the world. You look up, your entire herd is charging down a hill. Pigs are running. Yep. Pigs are drowning and we're fired. That is what they would have to have been thinking, something along these lines. The demons leave, the man enter the pigs, the pigs drown. This has been quite the wild first 13 verses of this chapter. Verse 14, the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. I grew up in Greenbrier, Arkansas, more specifically in Shady Grove, Arkansas. It made Burlington look like a metropolis. And if you wanted to get together with everybody and see everyone and see what it was that had been happening, start yourself a grass fire. Every redneck in the county is going to come with a shovel and a water hose. We're going to come see what it was that had happened. Look out. We got to see what is going on. I think that is what happens here on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. These old pig farmers come running back into town, headed to the unemployment office because they are fired and telling everyone about this crazy guy who lived in the side of the hill and everyone would have probably known him. And then this other crazy guy named Jesus came in and now the guy's not crazy anymore and our pigs are dead. Who's hiring? And so everyone hears their story and they go out and see what it was that had happened. Verses 15 and 16. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pig. So everyone shows up to see the damage. This is what will be talked about at the coffee shop on Saturday morning by the old men for years and years to come. Everyone would have their iPhones out trying to be Facebook famous. The news would have been there. It was a big deal. And when they get there, what do they see? They see the crazy, bleeding, screaming, naked guy sitting there, not acting crazy, no longer screaming. And praise the Lord, somebody give that boy some pants. He's got some clothes on. And instead of being happy for the poor guy, the people are afraid. That makes sense to me. I mean, if there was someone like this living outside of Burlington, every year I think the high school seniors would go try to have dinner with him and like to talk about it, put it on YouTube, make a big to-do of the crazy guy living in the tombs. Everyone would have known this guy was out there. This would have been no secret to anyone. They knew people had tried to help him. No one could, and all of a sudden this Jesus cat rolls in and everything changes. That is a bit scary. No one could help this guy, but Jesus in his authority has brought hope to the hopeless. Jesus shows up, and Jesus changes everything. Verse 17, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their 
region. After everything calms down, the news stations go home, everyone sits around and gets to thinking, I don't know who this cat is, but he needs to get on up out of here. They ask Jesus to leave. They don't know who he is, but they know he is one bad mamma jamma, and you do not mess with this Jesus character. We don't want any more dead pigs. We don't want any more crazy guys healed. Just take your superpowers and go somewhere else. They did not understand who Jesus was. Verse 18, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim to the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. The man who Jesus healed says, Forget these guys, my bags are packed. Jesus, I am going with you. I don't have any friends here anyway. I mean, last time I checked, people in Boone County High School, they're probably not wanting to hang out with the crazy, naked, bleeding guy. He probably didn't have a lot of friends inviting him to their birthday parties. So he obviously wants to go with Jesus. Jesus saved this man's life, helped him when no one else could help him. But Jesus says, no, I have a job for you. You go. And you tell everyone that Jesus has healed you, that Jesus has shown you much mercy. What's the guy do? The man goes and does exactly what Jesus commanded him to do. And the people are amazed. Jesus, in his authority, has saved the hopeless. Jesus shows up and Jesus changes everything cool story how does that matter to me how does that matter to you june whatever it is burlington kentucky why do we care i think three quick things first jesus has all authority jesus has all authority we see all through the book of mark that people don't really think that jesus is the son of god just like they think he's the crazy one that guy was crazy but you somehow fixed him go away we, we don't really want a guy like you. You are way too powerful for us. Go back on the other side of the sea. But we see through the book of Mark that Jesus indeed does have all authority given to him by his Father. He is the God-man. Jesus gives the demons permission to go into the pigs. When he shows up, they don't try to fight with him. They start trying to make a deal. They know that he is in charge even the demons believe in shudder but yet we would all absolutely I, i'm confident every one of you would verbally say jesus has authority over my life but however with the way we live our lives with the the thoughts that we think the words that we say we deny christ's authority to tell us how we should and should not live we do not always recognize his authority we want our own idea of what is right and wrong we think that we know what is best for our lives. Mark 5 says hogwash. Jesus has all authority here in this text, and he has all authority over every aspect of our lives. We are not our own. We are 
his, and we are called to live under his good and gracious authority. I don't know you, but I know me and I know people. And too often, I think that we are like the people from the town who came to see the wreckage. Instead of embracing Jesus' uh, life-changing power, his authority over our life, we just want him to go somewhere else. We'll holler at him when it's time to go to heaven. Growing up, I loved my mom and dad, but I thought my mom and dad had one job in life, make sure my life was miserable. That's what I thought they were doing. All these rules, bedtimes, had to do my stinking homework. I couldn't fish every day. I had to go to school, just silly stuff like that. You know, curfews, silly things. All those things they had for me today, every day to do, I thought they just wanted to make sure I didn't have any fun. But then I got a little bit older, I hope a little bit uh, smarter, and I realized all the things that my mom and dad told me to do, the things they told me not to do, the places they told me I, I could go, the places they told me not to go, all those things, there was a reason for those things. They wanted what? What was best for me. They wanted what was best for me. And their authority over me was not a hindrance to me. It wasn't keeping me from living my best life, living under their authority, doing things the way they told me to do them. That was my best life. They wanted what was best for me, and their authority over me was a good, gracious gift from God. In the exact same way, God's authority over you, God's ability to tell you what to do, what not to do, what to think, what not to think. God's authority to tell you what kind of attitude you should have towards others and towards your life. That is not a hindrance. That is a blessing to you. God wants what's best for you. What does that mean? What's best for you is to live for God God's way. To live under His good, gracious authority. We should praise God for His power and authority and serve Him because of it. Jesus has all authority. Second, Jesus saves the hopeless. Jesus saves the hopeless. There is no one too far gone for God. Jesus saves hopeless people. This poor guy, think about it. He was the most unchurched of unchurched. He was the drunk of the drunks, the sleazebag of sleazebag, the losers of losers. He was hopeless. An absolute lost cause. People had tried to help him. They had done everything they could. The Mayo Clinic couldn't do anything for him. He certainly couldn't help himself. He was completely out of options. But Jesus, Jesus comes where there is death and he brings life. He comes to this unclean area and he makes it clean. He comes to a hopeless situation and he brings hope. He saves this man in Mark 5. Jesus shows up, and what happens? Jesus changes everything. Is there anyone too far gone for God? Is Morgan County, LDS strong, is it too far gone? Is it impossible for God to do a great work there? If someone had seen this guy, they would have probably said God could never save him. He is not the church kind of guy. I have known him forever. But what does Jesus do? He shows up. He changes everything. If you're in school and you take Algebra 2, you must first take Algebra 1. To take uh, Spanish 2, you must first pass Spanish 1. The beauty of the gospel, what is different about Jesus is there are no prerequisites in coming to him. God saves you because he loves you, because of his grace, and not because of any prerequisites you have, because of Christ fulfilling the prerequisites on your behalf. Christ comes and does for you what you could never do for yourself. 
That is the gospel. That you can never be good enough. You can never earn enough. You can never work hard enough. No, Jesus came and did for you what you could never do for yourself. Jesus takes hopeless, lost causes like me and you and changes everything because of what he has done in our place. Salvation is by grace through faith. We don't come to Jesus good enough. We come to Jesus knowing we can never be good enough. That is the difference in the gospel and every other religion in the world. Jesus was good enough for us. It's easy to sit here and say, well, this guy was a lunatic. What a loser. I mean, what a whack job. Demon possessed, that's not me. But I think if you read through the rest of the Bible, you will quickly see, hold it up to yourself, look yourself in the mirror that is the Bible, that without Jesus, you are just as hopeless before God as this demon possessed man. In my redneck translation, the Bible says that all of us are jacked up sinners. Even the very best things that we do are really not that great. We are dead. There is no hope. We rebel against God. We miss the mark. So how can a holy God save sinners like us? Jesus changes everything. Jesus died on the cross and took our sin, our death, our trash, our addictions, our problems, our bad attitudes, our mean words, our laziness, our apathy towards the things of God and died the death that we deserve for those sins to make us right with God to allow us to be forgiven. If we will put our faith in him and what he has done that we cannot do, surrender to his authority and turn our lives over to him in faith faith and repentance. Jesus brings life where there is death. Jesus saves the hopeless. Jesus has all authority. Jesus saves the hopeless. And what is our big idea for this text? That Jesus changes everything. When this demon-possessed man ran into Jesus, when Jesus saved him, everything changed in his life. What was his response? What did he do? When Jesus healed him, he didn't say, yippee ki good for me, I'm going to go fish. No. He begged to follow the one who had saved him, and then he gave his life to tell people about what Jesus had done for him. When Jesus saves us, when Jesus saves you, it changes everything. We will want to be obedient to him. We will want to tell others about him. We will want to more and more as he works on our sinful hearts to, to make us new, to sanctify us, to live our lives sold out to him. We'll go from a rebel against God's good authority to one who gladly submits to the good, gracious authority of King Jesus, of the one who has the authority to save the hopeless, the one who changes everything getting married really messed up my gig there's a lot of days sometimes i used to wish that i could go back to get some fajita nachos covered in cheese eat my two big bowls of chips by myself sharing with no one to eat every last greasy drop of that nasty old cheese dip on that plate things continue to change in our marriage we now have uh, two little ones with us, and so now I go, I don't get steak pita nachos like I really want. I still eat chicken, but instead of splitting it two ways, now I split it four. We've got one more on the way. We've got to get a raise to buy another plate next time. 
but things have continued to change in my life. But I've noticed something about that, that now I don't really desire to go eat steak by myself. I prefer chicken. I really don't want to eat the whole thing because I've gained a little, I've lost some now, but gained a little too much weight since we've been married anyway. God has worked in my heart to, to give me desire to love my family more and more. It's changed me again and again and over and over. God continues to mold me into a, a, the husband, the, the father that I need to be. And I get excited to go split chicken feet and nachos four different ways. I just eat a few more chips and salsa before they get there. God changes everything in a much greater way than my marriage and my uh, clean sheets and chicken instead of steak feet and nachos. When Jesus comes into your life, Jesus changes everything. I wonder, has Jesus changed anything in your life? God, I thank you um, that you change everything. God, that you um, sent Christ to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. God, I thank you for the picture of um, our salvation that we see here in Mark 5, that you save hopeless sinners in your authority, that you make us right with you, not because of what we can do or what we have done or the, the prerequisites that we have, but because of what Christ has done for us. God, I, I thank you uh, that you and your authority save hopeless sinners like us. God, I pray that you would give us a passion to tell others uh, in Burlington, uh, in Morgan, and around the world uh, of your authority, uh, of your grace, uh, of your desire to bring hopeless sinners to yourself for your glory and our good. Help us to be a people who are passionate about reclaiming this message to the ends of the earth. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Won't you stand with us for the invitation this morning?
Amen. If you'll be seated for just a moment. Thank you, Brother Gavin, for that word. Listen, Jesus changes everything, doesn't he? And uh, we want to go out and tell the world about Jesus and his power to save the, the helpless, the hopeless, the ugly, and everything else. And uh, we want to do that at Bible school this week, and I hope that uh, you'll make plans to come and help us, bring kids, to invite your neighbors. Uh, that all kicks off tomorrow night. We'll have a block party tonight. Uh, I'd love to invite Lakin and Owen down to get a baptismal certificate and a, and a Bible, if they'll come down. We're so proud of them. To uh, mention that Ken and Suzanne Ogilvy, uh, they would just like to restore their fellowship as members here at Burlington Baptist. If you'll uh, celebrate that with us, they uh, are still members, uh, but left for a while, and uh, we welcome them back. And uh, Ken has said, "You all have been so gracious to them as they've returned." And uh, we do welcome both of you all back into our fellowship and look forward to how God's going to use you guys and uh, thank the Lord for you. Uh, just a couple other things. Uh, we're going to have a spaghetti meal over in the activity center. That'll be as soon as we get done. I'm going to pray for it before we dismiss. Uh, but Brother Gavin and, and Haley will be there. They're going to share a little bit about opportunities to go to uh, Morgan, Utah, to give, to support them, to pray for them. Uh, we'd love for you to come and be a part of that. It's only going to last about an hour, and so uh, you're welcome for that. Block party tonight, 630. Uh, bring a chair, and uh, we'll be out uh, in the parking lot and have some fun. Food trucks will be here, and uh, we'll just kind of kick off our Bible school. Looking forward to that. Eat all day. Eat all day. All right. And uh, anything else, Danny? Got the, the dollar club and the offering boxes out there if you would give this morning we would appreciate that all right won't you stand and uh i'll get brother gavin and maybe Haley to go to the back and uh you can uh greet them as you leave and uh i'm gonna go ahead and bless the food and uh we might be late getting over there so you can go over there and get started and uh again be praying for bible school this week we're, we're excited about that so let, let's pray Father, we want to give you praise today because you're the God who is mighty to save. And uh, we praise you for that. Lord, over and over in the Gospels, you uh, bring life, healing, salvation. Uh, over and over in our lives, you bring the same thing. Lord, we can go to any neighbor and share the good news. And if they'll turn from their sins and believe, they can be saved. I pray that we'll be like that healed demon-possessed man. We'll go and... And share that good news. And we pray for lots of opportunities today to, or this week to, to share that good news with, with our children. And we pray you would give us a, a good week and lots of children. And, and we just thank you for all the leaders and workers that will come out this week and, and help with that effort. We pray you'd bless our block party tonight. And uh, we pray that uh, you'd bless our, our lunch today. And uh, Lord, just help us to partner with others who are trying to take the gospel in the midst of darkness uh, around our country and around the world. Uh, we just thank you that we can gather and worship this morning for that freedom that we have. And Lord, we know there are lots of needs in this body. We, we lift up those who are battling cancer and having tests this week. And we pray for the people in Ukraine and for those who are dealing with loss. We, we lift them up to you. 
help us to uh, minister to one another. And uh, we pray today in Jesus' name. Amen.